welcome to the Mountain Meister podcast, where we explore the minds of those who explore. And per usual, we've got some pretty interesting guests today. Uh, a white Bob Marley, I'd say. Maybe a comic book character or maybe, uh, maybe a terrorist. And we're going to talk to these interesting people about some interesting topics, like how the sport of rock climbing is exploding in popularity and maybe growing too fast. Some of these gyms are having 500, you know, 750, 1,000 check-ins a day. And education is huge, but I think everybody has to, has to do their part, you know. If you like this stuff, you can subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app on your iPhone, or if you have an Android or you want to listen through your computer, any other podcast platform. We also have a beautiful new mountainmeister.com, which has highlights of all of the episodes, Meister profile pages, and summaries of all of the amazing deals that we offer to you, the Meister fans. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. This is Ben speaking, and today on the show, we welcome Dave and Dan Chancellor, who happen to be brothers and business owners together of Climb So Ill and So Ill Inc., which is in the business of manufacturing climbing holds and more recently offering a premier climbing gym called Climb So Ill in the St. Louis area. Dan and Dave, welcome. Thanks. Good morning, Ben. You made us sound fancy. <laughs> so guys, I feel like, and this may make you sound a little less fancy, there are two dream jobs for, for climbers. One is to own a climbing gym, and then the other is to live what's called the dirtbag life <laughs> and live out of a van. Do you think that's right? Uh, yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> Any desire to go the dirtbag route? We've been there uh, before, so we're try- trying to get away from it. Wow, you, you've ticked off both of them. What, what was the dirtbag life like? I guess that falls more on my end. Um, I was, uh, gosh, uh, my uncle kind of introduced me into the sport when I was about 15 years old. And uh, from that moment, just knew that climbing was an, an avenue I wanted to head. And I uh, ended up spending about, I don't know, two and a half years on the road, just traveling, climbing, living out of the van, uh, working temp jobs, just anything I could do to, to, to stay on the road. Um, it's a great experience. I met you know, all of, a, lot, a lot of the professional climbers that, um, and developed relationships with gym owners and people that we still work with today. So in retrospect, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Yeah, Dave was kind of on the road and um, meeting a lot of people and talking with gyms and um, hanging out with a bunch of athletes and I was at home in, in our parents' basement, uh, starting in, uh, you know, to learn the process of making holds and other products and things. So by the time he came home, we were uh, kind of set up, um, relationship wise and product wise to, to kind of get the brand started. Oh, very interesting. So would you say you had this plan while Dave was perusing around uh, different climbing walls uh, in the States, you guys had this plan to make your own holds and then eventually start a gym? 
<laughs> well, I guess uh, I just thought Dave was being lazy at the time. <laughs> he was just out uh, climbing while I was working. But it turns out like uh, those things happen for a reason. And the timing was perfect by the time um, he got back from his trip. Yeah. So Dan and Dave, you guys sound like you might be twins. That's not true, though, is it? Oh, thank God we're not. <laughs> Do you guys look like each other? No. no. Why, don't, why don't you describe each other, what each other looks like? Dave's like a, a white Bob Marley, I'd say. <laughs> uh, Dan's got a beard that's about a foot long and reminds me of uh, maybe a comic book character or maybe uh, maybe a terrorist. <laughs> All right. You guys are so nice to each other. White Bob Marley and a terrorist on the podcast today. Welcome, Dave and Dan. So we talked a little bit about your climbing experience. How do you even learn how to make climbing holds? Oh, man. I guess um, it's a lot different than today. You know, uh, about 12 years ago when we started, uh, shortly after high school, um, there was a lot to figure out. You know, we had to figure out um, shaping. We had to figure out molding. We had to figure out materials. We had to figure out finish work, all, all those things. And today it's a lot different. There's um, producers around the world who, who produce um, holds for different brands and they make it really easy. Um, you know, they want, it, it's a very expensive to go that route, but uh, you don't have to have really learned anything. And um, I feel like we've, we have quite the advantage of actually having gone through the process. You know, a lot of our competitors don't know anything about materials or um, design or things like that. And uh, we've gone through the process starting with nothing and actually creating, um, you know, creating a finished product. Hmm. So, so basically some hold companies out there will shop around, okay, let me find the finish that I want for this hold. Let me find what material I want it to be made out of and then just like, kind of construct a hold that way. Uh, yeah, more like hiring a big factory to do all of that for them. Okay. Um, is kind of how a lot of people have done it here in the, in the last couple of years, which is very expensive, but, um, it, it saves years of years of work, but, um, there isn't a huge understanding of, of chemistry and materials and molding materials and kind of, um, shaping and what, uh, what actually needs to go into the product. Instead, it's kind of like this franchise, you know, click on the light overnight business startup with, you know, kind of no root or no roots or no, no foundation, no, no kind of meat behind it. Right. So let's talk about the meat behind yours. Like for the finish, for example, the, what the actual, what the climber feels on their hand, do you experiment or did you, when you were creating the product experiment with different mixtures and things like that? Yeah, I think it took us about two years to actually figure out the process to where we had a had a finished piece that we were happy with the quality and the design. Um, recently, if if um, people want to check it out, we just put out a video called uh, "Make Your Own Holds." Hmm. Uh, it's on our Vimeo page and also on our website, and it kind of goes into a little bit of detail about. Um, everything that goes into the process and everything you get out of it. So I, th I think you guys will like it. Yeah, I'll post that on your Meister profile page so you can check out that video for our listeners. Dave, this may be a stupid question, but it's 100% serious, I promise. So I'm not a huge rock climber. But when I have been to the gyms, it seems like it's very different as far as how the holds are constructed compared to what you would find on rock, right? The, sometimes the holds are in the shapes of your fingers even, which you don't always find on the rock. Is this true? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, 
one method we are, or at least one direction we wanted to head was to create kind of uh, more functional type art pieces, um, making the, the holds uh, basically something maybe maybe more of like a creative sort of aspect to the climbing, more than just trying to replicate sandstone or granite or limestone. We try to take it a different direction. Uh, it's the same thing we did actually with the climbing gym as well, is trying to create more functional art pieces within the space um, versus just trying to create or, or uh, duplicate outdoor rock climbing. Yeah, in the gym, there's a giant, um, you know, elephant wall. There's a giant eyeball. There's a big <laughs> tulip flower, um, that sort of thing. And this whole idea kind of has been with us since the beginning that it's uh, it's indoor indoor climbing. It's not outdoor climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for years, what kind of put us on the map was doing some of those crazy holds and interesting shapes like you're talking about. And now that we've gotten older and we're not, you know, 18 year old punks anymore, we've really started to tone down the line and um, really have been moving, especially in the last three or four years to more and more simple, basic shapes. Um, something that's kind of changed throughout the industry, but definitely doing something different is what put us on the map for sure. Yeah, so you have these fun structures in the gym. Is it possible, it sounds like it's possible from what you said there, that you can create something that's just like too aggressive, too crazy, um, and people are just like, eh, they went overboard with that one? Well, the gym's actually worked really well. I guess I was mainly referring to some of our initial designs with the holes. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of them maybe were just a little bit too crazy, but we've we've really refined the entire line. A lot of the old shapes are gone, and a lot of the new shapes are just totally different. But um, they, they've been they've been really great. It's it's awesome to see them go around the world and kind of being able to change. Um, you know, change from where we started and kind of grow up and develop and become what we joke around as like a real, real company or a real brand. <laughs> yeah, it's been very successful. I'm curious, they, they say that business owners should take feedback from uh, their customers. Was customer feedback something that had you changing your designs? Yeah, and um, I guess a, a, a big cool thing is like... Um, you know, for years and years, we just ran the brand and we were, um, you know, making products that we thought would be good for a market or good for a commercial gym or things like that. And now that, you know, Dave and I actually got the climbing gym open, um, it's really been amazing. I feel like I'm, all, I'm on the other side of the fence now. So everything from product design, um, from bags, brushes, accessories, um, you know, training, training equipment all the way to the holds and everything. We're actually able to use things and test it in the gym. The whole new uh, line of retail products we're able to sell in our pro shop kind of before they hit the market. Um, it's been really cool to actually understand what gym owners kind of go through on a daily basis. And, um, I feel like we're all on the same team now and, and since the gym has been open, you know, product development has really turned towards, making quality gear that really helps um, helps the, the gym owners and the setters and the managers succeed. Hmm. And Dave, was it difficult for you guys to go from making holds to a gym? Uh, at first glance, people might think that, oh, they're both rock climbing, like easy transition. But if you really think about it, you're going from a manufacturing company to a service more of a service company there's definitely manufacturing in the gym uh, was that a difficult transition for you guys 
Yeah, yeah, it was huge. Um, you know, I went from dealing yeah with the manufacturing kind of production aspect of the holds, basically chemicals and uh, and and making grips to um, <laughs> to trying to to get the fast track and sort of the the real estate kind of education um, <laughs> an extremely quick pace. Um, but it was great. We we were able to um, you know I, I know where my skill sets lie and where I'm limited. And uh, it was nice to put together like a, a team to help um, execute our vision to open up a, a climbing gym here in St. Louis. And I heard you guys found it in a power plant. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we went through a huge sort of site selection uh, with a criteria checklist, and we looked at multiple locations around St. Louis, um, and we finally found this um, historical sort of gym uh, positioned in yeah downtown St. Louis. Uh, yeah, it's an old power plant. It's listed on the uh, National Historical Registry. Um, man, it was it was an unbelievable process, a uh, huge undertaking. Part of the team was working with you know designers and architects and uh, to try to yeah kind of uh, we had to communicate our vision for what we wanted and they had to help us execute this thing and it just turned out just better than I could have ever imagined. Hmm. And do you have people building their roots for you? Yeah, we have a whole crew of, uh, of route setters at the gym, uh, friends and uh, people we work with that, um, yeah, they, they work around the clock setting for the customer. The, the routes are really the final product. You know, you can, you can have all the bells and whistles of a climbing gym, but if you don't have, you know, quality routes with good holds and an atmosphere that's fun and enjoyable, I think uh, you, can, uh, you can miss the boat. <laughs> I, I, so again, I, I'm not a huge rock climber. Does it take a special eye or skill or climber to build a route? I bet that not all really great climbers are really great route builders. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's um, there's a select breed. I feel that uh, that you know, a lot of them start as climbers and they start educating themselves on climbing movement, um, and they kind of use that skill set to then set in a commercial facility. Um, it's really cool to watch the process and um, and kind of these guys educating themselves along the way. Um, it's cool that they are super passionate about setting and holds, and I just call them hold nerds, man. We can talk grips <laughs> all day long. It's it's actually really cool to to watch and uh, and see the process. That's pretty fun, uh, Dan. Indoor rock climbing is growing very quickly in popularity. And we talked to Phil Powers from the American Alpine Club about a potential issue that the industry faces, and that is indoor climbers migrating to outdoor climbing because there are obviously a lot more risks in outdoor climbing. As a gym owner, do you guys feel like it's your responsibility almost to make sure you're properly educating people? Yeah, I think it's a huge challenge right now. Um, I definitely, definitely agree. You know, we spent over a decade, like creating products and focusing for the indoor uh, climbing market and uh, really, really pushing, um, you know, in that area. And, and over the last 10 years, it's just completely blown our mind how many gyms have been opening, um, how many, uh, you know, setters there are and organizations for for setting and, um, you know, the Climbing Wall Association, you know, organizations for gym owners and, um, it, it's really just so it's getting so big, you know, uh, a few years ago, like, you know, we would almost know every single gym owner in the country, every single manager, every single setter. And, um, you know, there's, there's huge gym pro- projects happening, like multiples in every city everywhere. And, 
Um, you know, some weird things start happening too, like people open and, and close quickly or people don't pay their bills or they start a gym project and get the walls half built and a partner's gone. And it's, and, you know, I just, I always wonder like, you know, why these things are happening. And honestly, it's like, it's just getting bigger, you know, indoor climbing is just getting bigger. It's catching the eye of, you know, investment groups and people from outside, you know, our little club of friends. And, you know, along with all of that is, is so many uh, climbers, like some of these gyms are having 500, you know, 750, a uh, thousand check-ins a day, um, you know, here and in Europe. And, um, you know, education is huge, but I think everybody has to, has to do their part, you know, um, Dave can speak a little bit about what we've done as far as, um, you know, starting outdoor trips and, um, things like that to, to help educate. I think the challenge is there's just so many people doing it that, you know, we could probably have a crew of 10 people full time at the gym trying to, trying to get people outside and educate them and teach them the history of climbing and, uh, and all of that. But it's just, thousands and thousands and thousands of new climbers every week across the country. Right. And you guys have to focus on keeping people safe indoor too. Do you have capacity issues? Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally, um, especially when we run these big sort of corporate groups that come through. Um, but yeah, this is a huge like hot button sort of topic right now. And, uh, I, it's good that we're trying to lay a foundation. I think a lot of gym owners are trying to lay a good foundation now. Um, as people are making this transition from indoor to outdoor climbing, the gym itself, I mean, we, we offer like sort of outdoor education, kind of a gym to crag class um, that helps take uh, people from, I say zero to hero, from knowing nothing about outdoor climbing to sort of an education, sort of a fast track uh, to help them make that transition. Um, the other big thing we started was the Beta Fund. It's kind of a local climbing organization. We just got our 501c3 sort of non-for-profit status. Um, and it, it preaches heavily on kind of preserving climbing areas and educating the climbing community about making that, that same transition. So it's cool to have a little infrastructure in place. And hopefully um, as we grow and the sport grows, people will, will grow with their knowledge as well. Cool. We've talked about a few challenges. What would you say, could you pinpoint one of the biggest challenges thus far? Goodness. Um, I guess for, for the, on the gym side, it was really just trying to convince people to, to believe in us and share our vision with us. Um, I remember walking investors, bankers, you know, lawyers through an old abandoned power plant that, you know, it's gritty, it's raw, it's got crazy texture. It looks like something off, you know, Mad Max in the Thunderdome. And I'm trying to convince them of this vision of opening up a, you know, an, an indoor climbing gym. That was probably one of the hard struggles that I, you know, Dan and myself went through. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help that we look homeless. Um, right. I'm imagining the terrorist in the white Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, meeting with uh, bankers and architects and investors and everything. And, um, you know, at first they're a little, uh, a little standoffish and a little unsure. And uh, they learn a little bit more about us. And, you know, by the end of a few meetings, they're like, hey, we, you know, we are... I know we wear suits now, but we were like you guys. Like I had a, I had a ponytail in college. I was cool. And uh, they kind of feel like they're part of the, part of the team. 
Yeah, that's great. So you guys never considered like changing your appearance or anything in order to, you know, look a little bit more presentable in front of the bankers and the lawyers? Like men can change their appearance pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess uh so so you guys understand like um I guess our hair and things is mainly the crazy part. Like we dress really nice when we go to meetings and we we really um snazz it up. I bought new shoes a couple times and just for this podcast. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the audio podcast. Yep. So, you know, it's not like we were wandering into the meetings in flip flops and um, you know, in shorts or in tank tops mm-hmm. or things like that. So there's a there's definitely a a happy medium. I, I feel like once you make uh millions of dollars, like the Facebook crew or whatever, you can you can cruise into giant meetings in your in your sandals. But until then, you you definitely do have to somewhat look look the part. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, we'd like to get a gear recommendation from everybody that comes on the show, and we've talked about the holds. So let's not do the holds. Let's let's get a gear recommendation from the two of you. Cool. Well, I'm a big fan of bouldering, whether it's indoor or outdoors, and I spend a lot of time cleaning and developing rock and areas. Um, uh, especially down like the southern Illinois sort of sandstone belt down there. Uh, so the biggest thing I've got in my toolbox is just our brush kit. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's five uh, total brushes and pretty much classic boar hair brushes. It's all packaged nice and neat and makes for easy transportation. So that's my favorite. Nice. Oh, man. Uh, I guess on my side, it's, it's interesting. I, I mainly do product uh, design and development, you know, with all the designers and um, – and those guys and manufacturing throughout the year. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff coming out now. We're already working on our, um, our winter 15 line that'll launch over the, over the summer of 2015. But I guess a few things are coming out now. One of the, one of the big things I really like is, um, a dry bag line. There's six packs, um, from 15 liter all the way to 35 liter. Uh, we originally kind of were thinking, um, well, two things, one, we have a lot of people riding their bikes, uh, in St. Louis and riding, riding to the gym, uh, and it's raining and you know, the, the different seasons are kind of harsh. So we wanted a bag that was completely waterproof that people can put their gear in to go to the gym. Um, but they're also going to do really well for outside. So everything stays completely dry. Uh, we even line them with foam and computer liners and things like that. And they're actually, high design. A lot of the dry bags just kind of look like these big tubes that have a roll down top. And, uh, we, we hooked up with a designer who actually made them look really cool. So you can see those on our website, uh, now under goods. Very nice. The brushes and the bags on the chancellor's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. And also on our website is the fantastic deal that Dan and Dave are offering our listeners 15% off of every single thing that they have in their online store. Use the code MEISTER at checkout and you will receive this wonderful deal. Also, if for some reason they don't have what you want, go check out mojagear.com where we are also offering 15% off at their online store using the code MEISTER as well. This is perfect time for the holiday season, and I can't imagine that your gift recipient would want anything better than what these two companies have to offer. You can thank me later, Meister fans. Okay, so as we start to wrap up, Dan and Dave, I want to talk about being a family business. 
because this is very relevant for our listeners. A lot of us have siblings, maybe dreams to start a family business, but I'm sure it's not all easy. You guys sound like you get along very well. Has, has there been a time throughout this journey that you guys maybe were arguing about something or things weren't as easy as they sound? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, many times, many times. Yeah. Uh, there's story after story of, um, some crazy things, but, and fights and things like that. But, um, I I think our biggest, uh, breakthrough was when we started working on the climbing gym and Dave and I split a little bit. So we're both involved in, you know, Dave's involved on the product side and I'm involved with the gym, but, we've really been able to head up kind of two different um, big projects. So we're not together every day like we used to be. Um, For a long time, Dave was running manufacturing and I was running the office and we would just meet in the middle between the, between our shop and, um, and the office and just fight outside. But now we have to drive a few miles, so it doesn't happen as often. (laughs) So, so the absence has, or at least the separation, do you think has helped? It's made the heart grow fonder. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Just that we're not, uh, yeah, head-to-head each day. Um, we have a little bit of space. And we're both heading, you know, two companies in different directions. Um, same vision, but I think, uh, yeah, it's made for, um, you know, the, the, the turkey at Thanksgiving to taste a little bit better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have big, uh, big team on each side. I'm not big team, but, you know, the gym, we have about 10 – uh, 10 people helping us and on the product side, um, about the same. And, um, we just really, you know, we get really busy, like working with our own teams and, and, uh, helping them and learning from them and everything. And, you know, it's a big crew who's really helped us and believed in the vision of the brand. And that's, um, you know, it's kept us so busy and growing that, you know, a lot of times when Dave and I actually get together, it's, it's big picture talks and, um, kind of looking towards the future, which is the fun things, you know, it's not the, uh, the daily grind that kind of keeps the companies going. Yeah. Family businesses, I think are super interesting. There are a couple of things come to my mind. One is, uh, I watched 60 minutes a lot and there was a great 60 minutes on Tabasco. Do you guys watch 60 minutes at all? Oh man, I don't have cable. Okay. Uh, you can get the app. The app has all the stories. But anyways, uh, Tabasco is a family business, uh, the ones that make Tabasco sauce. And it's also a very private family business, and they don't let a lot of people know what's going on uh, inside and then also with the financials. There's a really interesting 60 Minutes on that. I'll have that on your Meister profile page. Also, cool. another podcast that I love is called Freakonomics. And Freakonomics did a really interesting look at uh, what what it's like to own a family business, what the success rates are. And you're actually, you last not as long as a family business compared to the average business. Uh, I don't mean to discourage you guys at all, but that's just what the data says. Um, really interesting for economics on that. I'll post that to your Meister profile page. Cool. Great. Let's, uh, let's do a little quiz here. Uh, one of these companies is not a family business. All right. First is Mars, the chocolate company. Second is Comcast, the cable company. Third is American Eagle, the apparel company. And the fourth is Walmart. Hang on, we're Googling it. Oh, it's cheaters. I I have no idea. (laughs) Ben, you trying to throw us under the bus here? Take a guess. 
Uh, number two. Number two with Comcast. <laughs> Wrong. Comcast is a family business owned by the Roberts family. The answer is American Eagle, not a, not a family business. How about that for throwing you guys in for a loop? Man, that was a tough one. <laughs> Family business, Dave and Dan Chancellor. Thank you guys for joining us. How can our listeners find out more about you guys? Uh, you can visit us on the, our websites, climbsoil.com and um, soilholds.com. And I recently started a blog also. I'm not really into that thing normally because I just kind of stay behind the scenes while Dave's the pretty face of the business. But on our blog on soilholds.com, I've really kind of started opening up about the industry and things we're working on and kind of giving a manufacturing and design behind the scenes look at, at what we're up to. Very cool. An inside look. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Meister fans. That was the 94th episode of Mountain Meister dangerously approaching 100 looking forward to that and you should too because it might be an extra special episode Meister fans listen to these kind words that Dave said to me after the show you remind me remind me of a young Ira Glass oh wonderful that's (laughs) such a good compliment I actually for those of you who don't know who Ira Glass is he's basically a podcasting legend So I got that going for me, which is nice. Don't forget, we got tons of deals going on. Free stuff, giveaways. We're giving away like a $275 dry top from Kokatat, $100 credit to Io Marino. We got like 25% off at Zeal Optics, 15% off of the stuff we've mentioned today. All sorts of exciting stuff for the holiday season. Delivering you the goods. Thank you for delivering me your ears today. Until next time, I am Ben Shank, and you have been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.